Amen. Hey, Maple Grove, welcome to week one of the, uh, the summer of one. And I got to tell you, it's going to be uh, such an awesome summer. Gathering together each week to worship and honor our Savior and our God. Amen. I mean, that's why we're here, right? I mean, our God is like pretty stinking amazing. Uh, we're reading in Isaiah chapter 40 this week, and I think sometimes we forget, right? I, I want to remind you all of who it is that we are worshiping today, right? He, he's a pretty powerful God. Isaiah writes this, Who has measured the oceans in the hollow of his hand, or with the breath of his hands marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? I don't think it was any one of us. Or weighed the mountains on scales and the hills in a balance. Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Who did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. that regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are nothing. They are regarded to him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that it will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told from you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the ruler of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, than he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who's my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, they will walk and not be faint. Amen. That's who we're worshiping. A God who holds the oceans in the palm of his hands. That's why we're here. And now, I want to do two quick commercials, and then we're going to dive into our, our study for today. You know, I mentioned a couple weeks back that we're doing a, uh, something called the 10-week challenge. It's right there on your connection card. And, and this is simply a way to ensure that during the summer months that our, our ministries aren't hindered as people go on vacation, and we had a lot of people uh, move out of state this year in military and various things. And, and uh, you're going to say, hey, I'm going to give this amount over and above my normal giving. And I think this is something everybody can participate in, right? I'm going to give a dollar a week. 
I'm going to give $2 a week, right? We don't have platinum, titanium memberships or anything like that, right? It's just you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to give a little bit more. Whenever we give a little bit more to God, we're blessed in, in giving, right? It always happens that way. So if you fill that out, make sure you put your contact info so we can make sure that's updated, and you can drop that in. The next thing you're going to see in your program, um, when we exit the Summer 1 series on 9-10, we're going to be doing a community service project called Compassion Sunday. We'll meet here at about 9 o'clock, exit about 9.30, and serve our community. There's a survey here that asks some questions about, you know, are there some things in the community that you're passionate about? Hey, what are some skills that you would like to employ on that day? And, and there's things you can circle, there's things that you can add, and if you're like me and you look at skills and talents, like I had carpentry, plumbing, electrical, landscaping, painting, and, and sometimes people couldn't circle them, but I put in a do-whatever-needs-to-be-done attitude. That's me, right? I get to circle that one. I may not have any skills, but I'm going to jump in there, and, and I'll be somebody's grunt, right? And so fill that out. Courtney, who does her announcements, is in charge of that day. After service and during our response time, she'll be over there by that table. Say what? That side. Hey, I feel like the scarecrow, right? Which, which way? Follow the yellow brick road. Commercial's over. Okay, I don't think there's any better way to launch this series than by sharing some God-breathed words that will accomplish what God desires and achieve the purpose of laying the foundation, not just for today's conversation, but for the series as well. The first is found in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Jesus is, he's with the 12 and he's been He's been, they've been following Jesus for a couple of years after having left everything to follow him. Understand that these guys have heard Jesus speak, they've witnessed his miracles, and they have seen truth and grace flow from him like mighty rivers and a cool flowing stream. And now Jesus wants to make sure that his guys get it, that they realize who he is. Matthew writes, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the man the Son of Man is. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. What about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The next is found in John chapter 17, Jesus, John chapter 13. It's Thursday night and Jesus is in the upper room. He has just washed the disciples' feet. He's just told them that one of the 12 would betray him. He has just dipped his bread with Judas. And John writes, beginning in John chapter 13, verse 31, talking of Judas, when he was gone, and I'm glad he's gone too, right? I'm glad he's out of there. When he was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I'll be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another, as I love you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. The next is found in John chapter 17. Jesus is on his knees, and he's praying passionately, desperately, over what's about to take place. And John writes, beginning in John chapter 17, verse 20, 
My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even as I have loved you. And the final is from Acts chapter 2. It's the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has fallen. The gospel has been preached for the very first time. 3,000 people have accepted the words of Peter and responded in repentance and baptism. And the church, the promised messianic kingdom, is born. And Luke writes, beginning in verse 42 of that second chapter, all the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. May God bless the reading of his word. Again, Maple Grove, welcome to week one of the Summer of One, an 11-week series where we will not only be unpacking, but hopefully embracing and living out a bunch of the one another passages commands and directives from God that represent the core values of this new family that each of us have chosen to be a part of. And let's pray into this series together. Father God, we love you. God, you are amazing, magnificent. God, you sit enthroned above the circle of the earth. You hold the oceans in the palm of your hands. All the nations of the earth are like dust on the scales. Lord, you never grow tired or weary. You were, you are, and you always will be, and you love us so, so much. And Father God, I pray that your presence will be here, God. I pray that we would allow you to flow in the way that you want to, God. God, I pray that we can be today the answer to that prayer that your son prayed in the garden. God, I pray for ears to hear and eyes to see. God, I pray that we recognize and acknowledge who it is that we're worshiping. You're not an idol that topples over. You're God who is an eternal, who's before all things and over all things and holds all things together. And God, you deserve our love, our gratitude, and our respect. And so God, just be here. And I pray that we honor you today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's do this. Summer one, week one, one anothering, one another. And now this, this morning's conversation, it, it's pretty much introductory message. And just an FY, FYI, or FIY, okay, um, just to let you know, I will not be here the next two Sundays as my wife and I will be traveling to Brazil to lead a CIY engaged mission trip. We're going to meet up our team, we're flying out tomorrow, we'll meet our team of students we've never met in, in Fort Lauderdale, we'll, uh, we'll talk about and get to know each other, prepare for the mission God has for us. We'll fly out on Tuesday, and, and uh, we'll be there for about 12 days in country doing a BBS to somewhere between 500 and 1,000 students in Brazil. So it's going to be an exciting time. However, when I'm gone, the series continues, and I have two guys coming in that I know will absolutely crush it each week. Uh, next week, Josh Smith, who is the executive campus minister at CMOF, College Ministries of Virginia, is going to do a message on serve one another. 
You know, again, if you have any students going to a college campus, it's a great week to be there to talk to Josh to see uh, what campus ministries are going on, where your students are going if they're in state. Um, and then July 9th, Tim Cole, who's the executive director of Waypoint Church Partners, is going to be here. And, and, and Tim's an awesome guy, and he's going to do a message on forgive one another. And in fact, I, I, had, I, I had lunch with uh, uh, Tim this week. His son was at the UVA basketball camp, and we met and had lunch, and, and uh, he talked about some of what he's going to share. It's going to be really good, you know, seriously. You know, and, and, and if you come ready to listen and learn, it's going to have a positive impact on a lot of relationships that will be in that room that day. I'm serious. It's going to be really, really good. I, I can't wait to uh, check it out online. And, uh, but today, uh, 625.17, I, I want to spend a few minutes talking about the importance, about the power, about the biblical command for us to be one anothering. That's what that word is over there, one anothering. It's not really a word, but it should be. One anothering, one another. And, and here's how we're, we're going to attack this conversation. Before we do that, I want you to turn to the person to your right and left and say, we need to be one anothering, one another. <laughs> one anothering. Good job. And here's how we're going to attack our text today by unpacking three statements, a bold prediction, a desperate prayer, and the primary activity. Yesterday, I woke up at 3.30 a.m. and I failed open, right? I mean, I could not go back to sleep. And as I lay there, I began praying about summer of one and praying that God would move in the church in a powerful way, in a transforming way, in a life-changing way. And I felt God say, hey, see, that's a really nice prayer, but there, there's another one I'd like you to pray. I'd like you to pray for yourself. <laughs> I'd like you to pray that, that I would move in you and through you in the next 11 weeks. And I, I said, okay, I think I'll take you up on that. And so I did that. And I would like to take a moment to just give you an opportunity to do that. To pray for yourself, you know, uh, that you will get better at one anothering, one another, and living out these commands of God that will make this church one. So go ahead and take a moment to do that. Father, help me to not just nod my head. Help me not just to prepare a message. Help me not just to stand up here each week uh, to put together an outline uh, to pray for you to move in this church. God, I pray that you will move in me. God, I pray that you will shape me and form me, Lord, in ways beyond my imagination, Lord, in ways that make me look more like you, more like your son. Holy Spirit, just do a work in me like you've never done before. I pray that I have eyes to see and ears to hear. God, I, I pray that when you say something that makes me say, ouch, that I repent and I move forward, Lord, pressing on to be the man you want me to be. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. First point in your notes is a bold prediction. I mean, picture the scene. Jesus, he, he's with the 12. They've been together for years, and they're walking on a dry, dusty, hot, barren road. And along the way, Jesus turns to them, and he asks them, who, who do people say that I am? And, and they start throwing out guesses. Uh, you know, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, uh, Jeremiah, Micah, Hosea, Elisha. And then Jesus says, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus stops and he turns and says, you're right. That's exactly right. And, and in fact, you did not come up with that on your own, Peter. This was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And on this rock, on, on this statement about who I am, that I'm the Christ, that I'm the promised Messiah, that I, I'm the Son of the living God, that I am the great, great I am, on the truth of who I am, I will build my church and the gates of Hades when I overcome it. And then they begin walking again. Matthew's kind of off to the side and goes, hey guys, you think that sounded important? I, I thought that sounded important. You know what? I, th I think I'm going to write that down. Understand, Jesus is making a very bold declaration. He, he says, I'm, I'm going to build this thing. I, I'm going to build this church. And when I do, nothing is going to be able to stop it. It, it will grow. It, it will flourish. It will expand. It will keep pressing forward into every corner of the world. Yes, many things will, will come against this church, false religions, human philosophy, wicked governments, immoral cultures, and even the gates of hell and Hades itself. But all of them will fall, and my church will endure always. And brothers and sisters, here we are, 2,000 years later, right? I understand, you and I in this room in Charlottesville, Virginia, are a fulfillment of the prediction that Jesus made on the road to Caesarea Philippi. Amen? That's pretty cool, right? On this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. A cool question, when, when Matthew writes that down, when he writes that down in Greek, does anyone remember the word that Matthew uses for church? It's the Greek word ekklesia. It's a compound word. Ek, which means out. Klesia, which means ones, called ones. It means to be called out from and to be called out into. Ekklesia is a group of people called out from the world, called out from living their own way, and called into being a gathering or congregation of God's people, a, a Jesus following. Yes, this was the prediction of us. So ecclesia equals gathering. However, as, as time went by and time went by, the word ecclesia, which means gathering or congregation, didn't get translated into our English Bibles. Instead, a German word was superimposed on ecclesia, a German word where we get our English word church, which actually means the Lord's house. Now understand, ecclesia, a gathering, a called out ones, didn't get translated, it got replaced with a derivation of a German word that means the Lord's house, gathering place, holy site. But listen, the thing is, Jesus in Matthew 16 was not predicting the Lord's house. No, Jesus didn't predict the place. He predicted a people. He didn't predict the place. He predicted a, a people. Jesus says, I'm going to build my people. 
He says, there's going to be this Jesus gathering, this, this ecclesia, a gathering, a, a congregation, and nothing is going to be able to stop it. My death won't be able to stop it. He looks his, at his guys and says, your death is not going to be able to stop it. Not even the gates of Hades itself and death will be able to stop it. Now, what's interesting is that when William Tyndale in the 16th century translated the first Bible from Greek into English, well, when, when he got to Matthew chapter 16, the very first time the word ecclesia is used in the Bible, he was like, uh-oh, uh-oh, that, that doesn't mean house. That doesn't mean gathering place. That, that doesn't mean holy site. I understand the word church means something entirely different than what Matthew said and what Jesus predicted would overcome the gates of Hades. Instead, Jesus said that he was going to build a, a gathering, a congregation of people. And that has nothing to do with location. That has nothing to do with geography. So in the very first English Bible, the word church doesn't appear anywhere. Because every time that Tyndale got to the word ecclesia, he would either translate it a gathering or a congregation. Now, some people didn't like that all that much because taking the word church out of the Bible was a threat to their power. And so they had him arrested. And they burned his Bibles and they, they strangled him to death. And then they burned his body. And it's been church ever since. Uh, what a tragedy, right? Now, I'm not saying that we should start a movement to abolish the word church, right? I mean, that would be silly, that would be futile, that would be a waste of time and energy. But, but what I'm wanting us to understand as we sit in this room today is that Jesus didn't predict a place, he predicted a people. He, he predicted a growing gathering of people called out from the world and called into a new family, called into a new way of living. A way that would be unstoppable. And, and remember, and at times our vocabulary gets in the way of us understanding this, right? You know, I go to church. I went to church. I don't like that church, right? And, and, but understand, Jesus didn't predict the building. He didn't predict the place. He didn't predict a one-hour service on Sunday. That was not his dream. That was not the unstoppable movement he was talking about. He was talking about a movement of people. Get it? Good. The next point in your notes is a, is a desperate prayer. Now, now, picture the scene. Jesus, he's in the garden praying so passionately and desperately that he's literally sweating drops of blood. And as he prays, he prays for three things. First, he prays for himself and for what was about to happen. I mean, it's a big deal, right? I mean, this is the unfolding and the fulfillment of what God promised in Genesis 3. After man believed the lies of Satan, took the bite of the apple, had their eyes open, sinned, and was separated from God. In Genesis 3, God promised that one day he would send a deliverer, right? Genesis 3.16, a deliverer that would crush the head of Satan pay the debt of sin, and remove this barrier that separated God and man, restoring their relationship. It was a huge deal, and it was a difficult thing that, that Jesus was facing. And yet he prays, as we know, you know, not my will, but your will be done. And then next in the garden, Jesus prays for his guys, for the 11. He loved them. He cared about them. And I said, 
They, they, they weren't just his disciples. They, they, they weren't just his friends. These guys literally were the hope of the world because they've been giving this incredibly important, massive mission to continue the work of Jesus, to spread the good news of salvation. So Jesus prays for them. Holy Father, protect them. Protect Peter. Protect John. Protect Matthew. Protect Simon the Zealot. Protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And then finally, Jesus prays for us who are sitting in this room today. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you're in me and I'm in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, what was Jesus' prayer for this gathering what was Jesus' prayer for us who are sitting in this room in Charlottesville, Virginia on June 25th, 2017, that we would be one? That we would be one just as the Father and the Son are one. That we would be brought to complete what? Complete unity. Why? So that the world would know that this Jesus stuff is for real. And as a result, find salvation in him. Jesus says, then, then, it has nothing to do with the place. It has nothing to do with the holy site. Then, the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as I have loved you. In Matthew 16, Jesus made a very bold prediction about building an ecclesia, a gathering of people that would be an unstoppable force that would grow and flourish and expand into every corner of the world, including Charlottesville, Virginia. And then in John 17, he prays a very desperate prayer. And he prays it so desperately because Jesus, you know what Jesus knows? He knows that this whole deal, this whole bold prediction hinges on this Jesus gathering being one. Uh, understand, the more one that we are, the more that we love each other, the more effective we will be. The more one that we are, the more we love each other, the more effective we will be. A couple guys named uh, Thomas Jones and Steve Brown wrote in their book called One Another, Transformational Relationships in the Body of Christ. They wrote this. This is really good. If we have any interest in being faithful to God, is that anybody? And in being a serious disciple of Jesus Christ in this world, the nature of our relationship with other Christians must be of primary concern. As the kingdom of God breaks into our present age and God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, there will be a remarkable difference in kingdom relationships. And seeing to this must be a passion of disciples. That's worth reading one more time. If we have any interest in being faithful to God, man, I hope you do and I hope I do. And in being a serious disciple of Jesus Christ in this world, the nature of our relationship with other Christians must be a primary concern. As the kingdom breaks into our present age and God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, there will be a remarkable difference in kingdom relationships and seeing to this must be the passion of disciples. Amen? 
I understand, this ecclesia, this Jesus gathering, it's, the, it's meant to present such a picture to the world of relationships and how people get along that the world sees it and says, you know what, I want to be a part of that. On May the 10th at 8.52 a.m., I received a text from my, my son John in New York. Prayers, please, exclamation point. About to share the full gospel at an Islamic school. Crazy opportunity, a little nervous, go on in 10 minutes, right? And, and I got it and I prayed. And later on that day, he sent me, about, sent me a text back. And he said, you know, he, he didn't feel really good about the way he shared the gospel, said he kind of messed up. And he goes, hey, you know what? It's not about wise words or else, unless the cross loses its power. But he said the thing was, because his wife Hannah and his son Micah was with him, the thing that blew them away was watching the interaction of John, Hannah, and Micah. And it wasn't the gospel message that drew them in. They go like, look how you guys treat each other. Look at what you do for each other. Look at the way you love each other. And they were totally amazed by that. And see, this, this newness, this oneness in our relationships is what the prophet Isaiah talked about and predicted. 700 years before Jesus put on flesh and invaded the planet. You see, Isaiah looked forward to and saw this coming kingdom where, where people would, would settle their disputes and would beat their swords, instruments of, uh, 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 of division, into farming equipment, instruments of peace. And Isaiah saw this time where, the, where there would be this crazy unity between the wolf and the lamb, the leopard and the goat, the calf and the lion, all being led by a little child. And Isaiah saw this time in this kingdom where, where, where people, he says, would, would protect each other and would be a shelter from the wind for one another. Isaiah 32. You see, the church is called to embody and imitate the very life of Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh, and he came to earth to show the world exactly what God is like and what God was willing to do to deal with the problem of sin which he accomplished through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And his mission completed, he ascends to heaven. Before he does, he commissions his disciples. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And you know what? When we take time to pause and think about that, that commission was and is a very formidable task. Amen? And surprisingly, the church's success in this endeavor depends on only one thing. And not on great wealth, not, not, not on political power, and not, not on signs and wonders, and not on sophisticated technology, not, not on superior organizations, not on great preaching, public rallies, big buildings, creative budgets, large programs, but on the mutual love expressed within the community of faith. Understand, it's the quality of relationship among Christians that make the church an effective witness for the gospel. Because it creates this kind of community, right? That the world wants to be a part of. I mean, that's what happened in the book of Acts, right? Uh, people saw the early church that they ate together they sold things to help each other out. And they were in each other's homes. They met together all the time and they loved each other. And they saw that and wanted to be a part of it. A bold prediction, a desperate prayer, which brings us to the primary activity. 
Which brings us to what we need to do in order to help answer Jesus' prayer and fulfill his bold prediction. Understand, once you get past the gospel, you see that the primary activity of the church is one anothering one another. You see, one anothering is the key. It's the absolutely essential ingredient. Now the phrase one another comes with the Greek word alelon, alelon. I wrote it down. You know me. I had to write that down, listen online several times and get that thing spelled out. Alelon, which means one another, each other, mutuality. It shows up 100 times in the Bible, and 59 of those times it is a direct command to God from God to us, teaching us how to and how not to love one another. You see, in accepting and embracing these commands are paramount to accomplishing our mission and becoming one, just as Jesus and the Father are one. Accepting and embracing, right? Living out these commands, it's paramount for our mission of saving the world and becoming one, just as the Father and Son are one. Okay, here are some how not to one another, one another. Do not lie to one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Stop biting and devouring one another, or you'll be destroyed by one another. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another, or be jealous of one another. Do not slander one another. Do not grumble against one another. Uh, understand, those six things are not only sins, but they are relationship-destroying, body of Christ-hindering, bride of Christ-tainting, behaviors and actions that have no place in any Jesus gatherings. Amen? No place in this church. Get it? I, I, I mean, who here thinks that we present a much better and more appealing picture to the world if those things are no part of us, right? A much better picture. I mean, because the world's going to get that at work, right? Right? You come in God's house, we, we shouldn't have that kind of nonsense. And here's a sample of some of the how-to one another, one anotherings. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Build up one another. Accept one another. Even the weird ones, right? Uh, admonish, like me. Admonish one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss, right? And, and, and uh, let's just do a handshake, right? That, that's for our culture, that's, that's relevant, right? That's, that's, that's better, right? Uh, care for one another. Serve one another. Forgive one another. Comfort one another. Pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another. And, and listen, here's the deal. Doing these things, living them out, would not only make us one, it would also help us become more like Jesus. Paul writes in Romans 12, 1, do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And the awesome thing is, that's Romans 12, 1, but a few verses down in that chapter, we see Paul saying, you know what, that this transformation was not something that's just going to happen with our vertical relationship with God. Instead of what, this transformation, new person, it would come about when people live in relationship and community as those who belong to one another. Romans 12, 5. In Christ, though many, we form one body and each member belongs to one another. 
And to those who are devoted to one another, Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. You see, it's all purely relational, which makes sense, right? I mean, if it's going to be this growing, this growing gathering of people, then relationships are central. Relationships are core. Get it? Good. You see, relationships are central because that's where transformation into a new person takes place. And how the good news gets out and the kingdom expands with the Lord adding to our number daily those who are being saved. John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus said, a, a new command I give you. Now the Greek had two words for new, right? Well, one was neos, which meant new in, in time. The latest model, the most recent. I, I, I got a, a new car. The other is, is kainos, which meant new in kind, new in form, new in quality, different in nature, something fresh and unique. And so when he says a new command, he said, oh, this is new in form. This is new in quality. He used the word kainos because it was new and, and that now we had a model of what it looked like in Jesus, right? Oh, that's what it is, just as. And, and it's new kainos because now we have a new power to make it possible, Right? Sure, it talked about in the Old Testament, right? But it's new. It's new and that now we have, here's what it looks like. What does it look like? Uh, the look like God and love like God? Oh, we live like Jesus. And how do we do that? Because we're messed up? Oh, awesome. You put your spirit inside me to live in me, right? You know, and as someone has said, you know, if the Holy Spirit is in us, right, he should poke out somewhere, right? It should, you know, everywhere, if he's in us, he should somewhere be poking out where people can see him. And nine times in the New Testament, we are commanded to love one another. You know that 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love? Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous, not boastful, proud, or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of wrongs. That's the kind of love we're to have for one another. And Jesus says that this and this alone, not how we worship, right? And not the buildings we sit in, and not even the gospel we share is what will help people know that we are his disciples. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Brothers and sisters, it is all about one anothering. That's the hallmark of the church. That's the that's driving force of the Jesus gathering. How we get along with one another. And listen, we can't do that sitting in rows, right? Now, it, it, it's not going to happen in the church service, right? right? There's not a whole lot of one another going on. Maybe I'm getting to teach one another. But, but it, instead, it's going to happen among the Jesus gathering. It, it happens not, not in rows. It happens in circles, where people are in relationship with one another and they're coached and encouraged to, to deal with and live out relationships in, the, in this new way. It's like, well, I know that's how you used to deal with things, but hey, you're in the family of God now and the family of God does things differently. The family of God does not just get mad and run away. The family of God tries to restore and make things better, right? The family of God doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It, it does things different, Right? It does things differently. Understand, Jesus' dream for the church was and is so much bigger than simply enduring a one-hour service each week. It was to create a new community. 
a people who love one another in radical Jesus-like kind of ways that even get the attention of the pagan world. That's what happened in the first century. Uh, uh, the Romans didn't agree with the Christians, didn't like the Christians, but you know what they, they said? You know what? But look at how they love one another. We don't like them. We don't like the way they look. We don't like nothing about them. But man, they sure do love each other. My goodness, do they love each other. My goodness, do they take care of each other. And that's important. You know, we're doing this thing 910, right? And that's about, be, you know, to be a church extremely focused is a, you know, is a passion of mine and a growing passion of our church, especially of the compassion team. But to be extremely focused, we have to be internally strong, right? You know, it, it, because if our external focus brings people in there, we want them to come to a place that, like, loves one another. Right? And, and one another, one another, one, <laughs> one anothering, man, see, even I messed it up. One anothering, one another, have another butter, peanut butter, sandwich cookie. That's what you feel like you're saying, right? One another, one, one anothering, one another. <laughs> is what's going to make it happen. One anothering, one another, is what's going to make it happen. And you see, all these passages that we're going to look at are simply ways to practically live out the command to love one another, right? That's what they are. And so, I just have a question as we close and as we launch a series. Who are you, one anothering? Here you want another. Because you're not doing it right now. It's going to happen when you leave, right? Who are you? One another. And who will you? One another. In the coming weeks. So that we can become this Jesus gathering. That becomes so appealing to the world. And so beneficial to us. Would you stand and pray with me? Father God, thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. And God, help us to be the people that you want us to be. God, help us not to be hearers of the word only. God, help us embrace the idea that the primary activity of the church, that our primary activity is for us to be one anothering one another, God, to, to be loving one another, serving one another. God, help, help this truth to bear down. And God, help us to hear you answering our asking us that question today, you know, who are we one another in? God, and who will we one another? And God, may we become the church that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.